How's it going, Yamitators? Episode 140 with Baron Vaughn. You guys, this episode was so fun. We talked about Grace and Frankie. We talked about Mr. Science Theater. We talked about stand-up. We talked a lot about, um, like, triads and Yakuza and, um, and, like, martial arts movies and, oh, it was awesome. So listen to it and tell everyone about it because I loved it and you should love it too. But if you don't, that's, I mean, that's your prerogative, but you, you will. You'll, it's, it's awesome. We'd like bust it out into song at one point. You'll see. You'll find out. Go to facebook.com slash Yamatat with Doug Culp. Like the page. Um, tell me to post on the page because I don't, I, I'm bad at keeping up on that Facebook one. Um, because I usually just keep it up through Twitter. Um, but go to iTunes and Stitcher, whatever you're listening to this on, pause the episode, go over and rate it, review it, or listen to the episode and then rate it and review it if you feel like it. Uh, it helps get the word out. It helps spread the word about the show. Duplex Comedy Suplex was a lot of fun. We had Caitlin Durante and we had Harrison Greenbaum. Um, Yeah. We, uh, it was a fun show. Just come on out, you know? It's a fun, fun, free Thursday night show. Parking sucks. Parking sucks. So take an Uber or a Lyft or carpool or, or ride a bike or, or motorcycle or maybe a moped or one of those, uh, wheelie plank boards with the two wheels and the plank in between, you know, wheelie planks. Anyway, um, yeah, so Duplex Comedy Suplex. Keep talking about it, keep telling people about it, and spread the word of the this little, little awesome comedy show that could. Yeah! My Twitter is at Dougathan, D-O-U-G-A-T-H-A-N. Show's Twitter is at Yamatat, Y-A-M-A-T-A-T. Uh, there's a donate button and yamatat.com through PayPal. Any and all would be much appreciated. I do all this for free. I do all this because I love it and love to uh, get it out to you guys. So <clears throat> without further ado, yam it up with me and Baron Vaughn. What I believe it has to do with, and this is all just like, because I have no actual proof, or should I sit right here? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have no actual proof as much as I have theories, and I've researched what scientists have had to say, because some of this shit is, is, is just really under-researched. Yeah. I was living in mold, toxic mold, didn't know. Okay. Everyone's allergic to mold. Yeah. Mold fucks you up. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that people go, the stuff from a sandwich... <laughs> like if you leave bread up, you're saying that fucks you up. It's like, yeah. yeah now imagine you're breathing it in. Imagine if that that whole piece of bread was mold, and then imagine if your whole wall was that piece of bread, and your whole wall is mold. Do you want to just breathe that in all the time? If you saw it in a sandwich, you'd get the fucking rid of it. You wouldn't be like, well, let me just crumble it up and put it in a humidifier. <laughs> Just crumble that shit up, put a humidifier. 
Ah, smell the toxins. Mm. Right? My body loves this. So you have an allergic reaction to mold. Now, if you might be a little allergic to something else, because your, your, your immune system is going, allergies, it starts to take those other things oh. and overreact to those. Okay. It basically, like, like the FBI... It's taking. It's it becomes a known associate out. of mold. <laughs> so if you see pollen or if you see dairy, know that they're working for mold. <laughs> Fuck them up. Find out where mold's hiding out. We need information on mold. That's what your immune system does. <laughs> you remember the the old video um, that was like it was teaching kids about AIDS, but it was the way they did it was all these. Um, the T cells and everything were living in a house or something, and then AIDS comes knocking on the door, but it has a mask on. No. So they're like, "Oh yeah, you're one of us. Come on in." And then it starts fucking them all up. And whoa, yeah. no, yeah, that's it was weird. But that's fucked what that up. But that's of. that. That's basically what it is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Shark, 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 gram, telegram. <laughs> Chevy Chase in a shark co fucking costume. Was that Chevy Chase or was that Dan Aykroyd? I don't remember. <laughs> Hold on, let me finish oh. sending this really intense text message. Okay. I think it's uh, Chevy Chase. Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Did you see um, Don't Think Twice? Yes. It's so good. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Because I, 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 I saw... Um, uh, like I, saw, I saw Sleepwalk With Me and I thought, okay... Clearly, Birbiglia is a good writer. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting story told in an interesting way. I walked out of there, or walked out of there. I saw it on, I watched it on Netflix. You walked out of your room. Um, walked out of my room. Um, walked out of my room going, um, that's it, I'm out of there. Fucking theater. Oh, did I put this on silent? Uh, my glasses are. That would be funny if, like, fine. Just as a as a Pavlovian response to movie credits, after every movie, you're like, well, I gotta leave this room. Gotta leave this one. <laughs> Bye, room. I guess I'll never be in here ever again. Um, it's, um, I watched it and I thought, it's well written, it's not that visually interesting, interesting visually. Mm. Don't think twice, however. It's like he is totally grown up. As a film, he's. So I like walked out of there going like he's a filmmaker. Like he's not just a guy who made a movie. He's a filmmaker. It's so good. It's, it's brilliant. Oh, man. And the... you know, I got lucky because I I saw it in South by Southwest, so I saw Mike talk about it oh, a bunch nice. and what he was going for, which was Albert Brooks, that kind of feeling yeah. of like an Albert Brooks movie or a Woody Allen, like the best Woody Allen movies, where it's just sort of like funny people are in a situation mm -hmm. that they can only handle in a funny way because they're funny people. <laughs> even if it's dark, even if it's scary, you know, and, and and they know when it's real and when it's not. Everything is not a joke. Yeah. In the world that they're living in, they're just people who who Loves traffic joke. in jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's like so seeing oh, seeing it unfold and it um, you know, we should start by the way. We could totally gush about oh, it's don't going. think twice. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I walk into the room and we're talking about it. We're talking about it already. <laughs> hey! No, Baron, didn't you see the sign? You walk into the room. I got one of those signs up. Everything around here is recording. On air. On air. On air. You should definitely get one of those on air <laughs> signs. Um, yeah, no, I, don't, I definitely think that like he, he really achieved something that was... And it was visually interesting. Like There was some filmmaking going on and really good performances. Yeah. I was like, okay. Okay, Burbigs, you got me. 
You got me. You got me, Burr Biggle Butts. Like, all of, all of the awkward moments were so awkward. Yeah. And, like, you're just, like, feeling for all of these characters in different ways. And... Are you a fan of Curb? Um, I, I wasn't when it came out, because when it came out, I, I wasn't too much in the comedy world, and I was just like, I can't stand it. It's too awkward. It's too awkward. Yep. No, that's that's absolutely right. It took me three... It wasn't until the third season, because I saw it like I'd flip on HBO back in the day when I had Gable, and um, see it and be like, what is this? Ugh. And just the awkwardness of the situation. I was like, no, I can't watch this. Change channel. But then there was some point where suddenly I understood it, and I, I understood the comedic exaggeration, yeah. and I understood the the how he was going for the harder version of how that situation could go instead of the jokier version. Yeah. And that he's ostensibly a sociopath <laughs> who just doesn't want to be bothered with anyone and cares a lot about what people think about him, but then also does everything he can to just, like, not be responsible for everything. So it's like, I can identify with that. And when it gets awkward now, but it's, it's always earned. It's always like, no! And then I have to pause it or walk around, leave the room. You're like, oh man, when I walked out of that episode, I walked out of that episode. And by that I mean I got out of bed and left my room into the living room because I was like, I can't, I can't watch this anymore. Anyway, how you doing, man? Oh, pretty good. I love that you're just, I'm busting you up. Busting you up. It's the best. Oh, man. Um, so, uh, uh, um. Yeah, what? I mean, I love Grace and Frankie so much. Oh, I'm glad you do. It's so good. Um, how how much fun are you having working on that show? It's like, it's I imagine bucket loads. Yeah, um, about three or four bucket loads, um, to be exact. You know, and I know it, it's very anti Hollywood to talk about the exact amount of bucket loads. Like people like to keep that stuff under wraps. You know, we had a man we had a mandate from Netflix like do not discuss the amount the exact amount of bucket loads with anyone in the media. We want to keep these numbers secret. This is an exclusive. The exclusive number of bucket loads. Do not... Like when that Sony hack came out and you saw how many bucket loads of fun Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum were having with 22 Jump Street. There was a lot of bucket loads. They didn't want that information out there. That's how you know it was an inside job. Not the Koreans. Um, so anyway... Uh, no, bucket loads of fun. Happening. It's It's... I mean, first of all, it's like it's crazy to be on the show and like working with legends. Yeah. Where it's just sort of like, I have a scene with Jane Fonda tomorrow. Okay, well, I better know my shit and you know, no, no, like just be because everybody's everybody's they're on their game. You know, they're like they're 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 there. They've had these careers for a reason. Yeah. You know that if they've had Oscars for a reason, you know, it's just like all right. Call, and Lily Tomlin, I mean, she's a personal hero. Oh, man. And, and what's cool about it is that she still plays. You know, that's the thing that I think people forget is important to keep is your sense of wonderment, your sense of play, the yeah. things that make you creative. Yeah. You know, we, we, because we, you know, we're, we're in a culture where, like, creative impulses are really discouraged in people because it, it gets in the way of you doing your work. <laughs> Take things seriously. You gotta work at a place to make that money. I'll grow up. Grow up. Yeah, but we're we're in a profession where we are we're fortunate enough to be employed to be for professional children, basically. 
the professional children. We get to play make-believe. Yeah, pretenders. And so while, of course, there has to be a level of professionalism behind the scenes to where, where you get to the place and you get things done and you get the so, show sold and make it in this amount of time, all that stuff, yeah. when you're in the scene, you still have to be a person that, that can play. Yeah. You still have to be a person that can be present. And, and what's cool about, the, about working with everybody is that even though they're all people who are in their 70s, they they're still having fun yeah and they still know that you have to have fun if you want it to be good it's it's so clear like in how well the show is putting out the all the messages that it wants to that how much fun you guys are having oh cool how oh man it's so oh man and being and being in a scene with lily like it's so cool because like she'll play she she yes ands you know (laughs) she if something improvised happens she'll go with it if something gets dropped or messes up she's kind of like she's existing in the scene and we're all like what what and then we'll like do like weird little looks to each other and like little bits that you would do with your friends and she'll do that because she knows that like the relationship is where a mother and son and like of course we have these little inside jokes yeah. and little things we agree on and go, mm-hmm, and kind of look at each other. So it's just really cool that she she is open to that. Oh, the police are coming. Oh, I, no. I talked about the bucket loads. <laughs> Netflix owns the internet. They have they have outsourced that. What's that, that company that, like, one of those weird internet security companies, like, that the NSA outsources their, sh- outsources their stuff to? Yeah. Because we're speaking, but yeah. they're also listening. Netflix has outsourced their stuff. So they're just kind of like, listen for bucket loads. If you hear anyone say bucket loads. Get them. Get them. Send in the authorities. Send in the DTF. Uh, I think you mean the ATF. No, I mean the DTF. Have you seen these people in uniform? When I see the ATF in uniform, I am DTF. You know what I'm talking about? Just silliness. The DTF or the ATF or DTF. The ATF or DTF. Oh man. Um, so, uh, uh, in a very jumping back, how mm-hmm. how long have you been doing comedy for? Um, you know, it's funny because I I actually I have two answers to that question, and one of them is right. <laughs> it's either fifteen or sixteen years, <laughs> and. It's interesting because it, it, it kind of is indicative of the, the East Coast and West Coast cultures of stand-up. Oh, okay. Because I started in Boston, right? Yeah. And in the East Coast, you would lie as a young comic and say you had been doing comedy longer than you had been doing it. Oh. Because if you're... Because you want the people who have been doing it a while to respect you. <laughs> and, and they count... Ex, they really count experience in the East Coast. Yeah. In Boston and New York, it's all about how long you've been doing comedy. Oh, you've been doing it seven years, so you know this much stuff. They're they're always they're very serious about that. So years logged is very important. Yeah. Whereas in the West Coast, people will lie and say they've been doing comedy less time than they have, so they look like geniuses. <laughs> they're a person that has seven seven years of experience doing comedy and can write material from that experience level, but then they go like, Oh, I've only been doing comedy two years so that way it's like, Oh my god, you're this good at two? And then the opposite, like, you might be really good at two in the East Coast to be like, ah, oh, five, six years. <laughs> and then the people who are older, I'm like, yeah, sure, six years. He's been doing it too. Trust me, he's got five good jokes. So I was lying as a young person in comedy. I was lying saying I was doing comedy longer than I had for a couple of years to the point that I couldn't remember myself. It was like that three to six year mark where I was like, 
embellishing. I was adding a year. It's kind of like, oh, I've been doing comedy. I wanted to get to, I've been doing comedy five years. That seemed like a really important mar marker to me. So at three years in, I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it five years. <laughs> but then at some point around seven years, I'm like, oh, have I been doing it seven or have I been doing it eight? I think I've been doing it seven. I actually have been doing it. And then I realized that once I started getting up to my actual experience level, like I'd actually been doing comedy 10 years, I was saying 11 or 12. And then we're like, no, no, let me just say 10. It's 10. A decade is 10. <laughs> And I think, and I think that that's why I'm at 16, but I might actually be 15. You may or may not have caught up with yourself. Yeah, I'm, I believe that it was the summer of 2001 that I started doing stand. It was either the summer 2001 or summer 2000, but I think it was 2001. Yeah. Still, still months before 9/11. Where? Oh, so it was in Boston. It was in Boston. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, where the planes took off from. Yeah. That was my junior year of college. I remember it. Oh, wow. Yep, yeah. And then what was the stand-up scene like like right around then? Well, by that <clears throat> during that time I was still an open micer, so I wasn't like going to shows a lot. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about things that I saw some people, you know, the first reaction to it was some people trying to tell the I'm an idiot because of what I was doing when this stuff happened mm. or how I reacted to it when it happened. Yeah. And I had a story about like, it was literally that day of September 11th. I was doing dumb shit cause I was in college. <laughs> and then when I found out what was happening, it was like, what is hap Like I was literally walking up and down the streets of Boston with a, with the uh, bullhorn, <laughs> not knowing what had happened, just saying things that people <laughs> threw a bullhorn on the street. Cause I thought it was funny. I ordered this bullhorn to say to yell yell profanities at freshmen, and then it came late. So I'm like, "Well, waste not, want not." So I just started going up to classes with my bullhorn, be like, "How's everyone doing?" Just saying things through a bullhorn, and I'm in class while all the shit's going down. And then I come up to my my school building, and I'm like talking through the bullhorn, and there's this girl there who was in my class that was just kind of like, "What are you, what are you doing?" And I was like, "What are you doing through the bullhorn?" She's like, do you have any idea what's happening? I'm like, do you have any idea what's happening? Uh, planes just hit the World Trade Center, and also a plane hit the Pentagon where my dad works. And I was like, I didn't do it. Like, I just, I didn't know how to. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm killing with you, Doug. I didn't do it. I not, wasn't me. And there was a stinger. Bop, 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 and then all the credits. And all the credits are just like, dignity, nobody's here, self-respect, not cast. Um, <laughs> so I, I tried to develop, that's why I know I was doing stand-up around that time, because that was a story I was trying to turn into a joke. Okay. But I wasn't at the experience level that I could handle it. Um, that's You're the thing. You're just doing goofs. You're uh... yeah, like, uh, and that's every now and then I come back to that because there's stuff, there's ideas I had for comedy in my first five years that I just was like, this is funny. I don't know why. I'm not good enough yet. Same. Like, there's stuff that I've got, haven't gone back and looked at, and I'm like, oh, like you go and find it, and you're like, oh, that's an old premise, but I could do something with that now. Well, as a wise man once said, I don't remember who said it actually, um, but all writing is writing. You might not use it this moment, yeah. but you put it in a drawer, 
And then you come back five years and you look at it again and you go, oh, my, I know what to do with that. Because yeah. you see it with fresh eyes and you remember who you were or what you were thinking. Yeah. And then suddenly there's a different life to it. Yeah. So it's like I will go into old notebooks and look at things that I tried to do once that I just knew I couldn't tackle. It was too complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, I just remembered this joke that I had a long time ago. And I think that I opened with this joke. And I would be like... Uh, I'm at that age. Hey, you guys remember when you first figured out that your parents are liars? <laughs> like your parents are, oh my God, they're people. And they also lied to me about things. <laughs> and then suddenly it justifies stealing all those quarters when you were in middle school. You're like, oh, you know what? I deserve those quarters now. I'm not guilty about that anymore. You lie. I stole. That's a parent. That's a parent-child relationship. Um... That's an idea. I mean, like, I can go back and, like, there's something in there that I can redo. Yeah. That's my impersonation of digging things out, which is great for a podcast. Yeah. It was a good sound effect. This podcast is all mime. It's a radio play. (laughs) The The reason Doug is laughing is because I'm doing great mime over here. Great for a listening audience. Um, speaking of puppetry... Yeah. Oh, what, what a, about that what a transition. transition. <laughs> <laughs> you got to change the name of this podcast to The Cackle Hour. Cackling with Cult. Yeah, Cackling with Cult. All day. Every day. Uh, Mystery Science Theater. Yeah. 3000. Yeah. How, um, outside of the fact that I mean, you're going to... I can say that you're going to be in it. It's all right. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be in it, playing playing the role of Tom Servo. Oh, man. When you heard that it was... <laughs> when you heard that it was coming back... Yeah. Were you like, oh, shit. Like, how excited How excited were you that it was coming back? And then were, when you heard, like, stuff was going to... You might be Tom Servo. How, yeah. yeah, well, you know, I when I heard it was coming back, I also... Um, I think like a lot of other people who have been following Mystery Science Theater 3000 for over the years, yeah. I thought they were talking about that they're just going to make really some new episodes because they always do those Turkey Day marathons. And, yeah. and of course, there was a lot of life to a lot of the old episodes. And I just thought they were saying that they were going to make new make new episodes <laughs> with the old, with the original cast yeah. um, and just kind of up the quality of them. You know, they're so, we're going to like up the quality of the stuff. I didn't know they were going to recast it <laughs> and like have it be brand new people. And then I had no idea until Jonah Ray approached me to talk about this that I was going to be one of the people. I was like, oh, wow, that would be crazy. And my first thought was like, the nerds are not going to like it. Nerds, as you know, as I assume you're nerds listening, as you know, like the things they like and like the things they like to stay the same. Why would you take something that is already amazing and change it? I don't like change because we're nerds because the things that we like got us through horrible things Yeah, and we look at them and we look and we see them and we go, Oh, that movie, that comic book, that song, that video game, all, all these things in our lives are the things that, that made us feel good yeah. when things were bad. Yeah. So then it's almost as if someone's saying, I'm going to take away that thing that made you feel good. I'm going to change it up. <laughs> That's what I think happens. I think it brings back all the stuff that these things helped you cope with. Yeah. 
those things come back as if to say, like, oh, no, it's going to change. It means I never coped with that thing. <laughs> it means you're I'm still seven. Oh. You thought you were over it, but exactly. you're not. Exactly, you're not Here over it. it. <laughs> so when you get angry at something you love, being different, it's a time for self-examination. <laughs> it means that you, whatever you, whatever you were trying to, to repress with your love of things I love, Star Wars, obviously, <laughs> Um, Assassin's Creed, <laughs> how you collect all them, them fly Nike shoes, all those things that you turned to to help you feel better when you think that, like, if they've changed, I can't feel better. It means that you maybe haven't addressed the thing that you were trying to solve. Okay. I look forward to remakes. I look forward to remakes. There's things I want to remake. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. I want to remake that. Do you know what that is, Doug? No. Oh, you you are you are deprived. Wait, The Last Dragon is uh, that movie with Bruce Lee? From Bruce Back Leroy. <laughs> You're thinking of Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon. Oh, okay. Uh, or Return of the Dragon, <laughs> which of course has a different title in Chinese cinema. Oh. Um, a lot of those, you know, those there were those Bruce Lee movies that were that were from China that he was making in China, but they all had different titles mm. in the states yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Like, for instance, Chinese Connection was actually called The Big Boss in Asia. What? Or, and then there was a movie called Chinese Connection in Asia, but then we titled it Fist of Fury because we had already used Chinese Connection. <laughs> so, for some reason, all these, like, Game of Death, like all these different movies that Bruce Lee made had different titles. Then he made Enter the Dragon, actually in the middle of Game of Death, which Game of Death was the last movie he made, um, which, because I'm a Bruce Lee fan, that's how I know, that's how I've always known Asian people do not look alike. Why? Because Bruce Lee was making Game of Death. Then he stopped in the middle of production to come make Enter the Dragon because it was an American studio that was uh, making it. It's a Hollywood movie. Then he died. And then they finished Game of Death with a group of lookalikes who do not look like Bruce Lee. In any way. And so I'm a middle schooler looking at this stuff being like, that dude doesn't look like Bruce Lee. Yelling at my TV, Chinese people do not look alike, TV. So thank you, Asian cinema. Thank you, Chinese Connection. Yes, thank you, thank the you Bruce big Lee, boss. The, the big boss, and Game of Death, starring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He has a fight scene with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, which is amazing, because he was very short. So are you into like more than just Bruce Lee kung fu movies, or mostly Bruce Lee? Um, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm looking at the things like that I was a nerd about that in a lot of ways I, I realized that I could only be a nerd to a certain extent because mm -hmm. I didn't have any enablers because <laughs> yeah. I was a lonely kid. <laughs> so it was like I was a lonely kid and I was relatively poor. So like I could only afford to keep up with certain things to yeah. a certain extent, especially if I didn't have a friend who like shared in my Added, love of these yeah. comics. Yeah. Like yeah. my end, of, the end of me reading comics was as simple as I walked an hour to the comic book store because it was an hour away, and I grew up in Vegas, so it was hot. So oh. I walked in 110, 120 degree heat, yeah. one hour, to a comic book store I went to all the time, and then one day it was closed oh. for business, and I was like, I guess I don't like comics anymore. Oh, no! <laughs> I just walked an hour to nothing, and I was like, I'm not going to walk back an hour. I need sweet, sweet air conditioning. What's this? A pool hall? And then suddenly I got super into pool for a year. All of my nerdisms are just practicality. Proximity. Proximity. 
I was into I was into like uh, dirt bikes and, and like like um, like motorbike racing mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. But then I was like, well, I don't know anyone else that likes this. Uh, there's no way I can go get a dirt bike. I have no idea who would be into this that I know. So I guess I'm just gonna have to get into Magic: The Gathering because that's what everyone else is doing. And then started playing that. But then I had some Asian friends who were into this game called Shadow Fist. Oh, I haven't heard that. Shadow Fist is a very obscure card role-playing game in the vein of Magic, except it's about, like, Asian stuff. So it's, like, triads, Yakuza, ninja shit, (laughs) kung fu shit, (laughs) and all this stuff kind of put together Uh that I was like, oh, dope. And I would play that with one friend. I had one friend that played that with me. (laughs) Then... Wait, so is there a game master that way in the... The friend was the game master? Or? No, it's like it's like cards, you know, where you have oh, decks okay. and you play against each other. Okay, got it. Heavy he hat. was Vietnamese, a friend of mine named Tony, a Vietnamese kid I used to hang out with. Mm-hmm. He had other kids that were Southeast Asian that he could play that game with. Yeah. But he was the only kid I knew that played that game. <laughs> so when I bought enough cards to have a deck, yeah. and then him and I stopped becoming, like, stopped hanging out, then I was like, well, then now I have this deck of cards <laughs> for a game I don't play. <laughs> That I invested in over magic. <laughs> then there was this other game that I got into because I was thinking, oh, no one else plays this game. I could be the person who kind of introduces this game to my community. Mm-hmm. It was called Hyborian Gates. Mm. And this brings me back to comic books. Okay. Because the art was by two people, Boris Vallejo and Julie Bell. Okay. They were these crazy bodybuilders who were also these incredible artists. <laughs> like you see a picture of them and they're just freaking ripped. I lift weights all day, then I draw comic books. That's honestly what they look like. And if you Google them, you will recognize their art. You have seen their art. You've seen their art. And it's like in that sort of like heavy metal kind of vein. Oh, yeah. Like it's like fantasy worlds, but everyone's super freaking buff and naked. But they also have like lasers and and like there's a dragon behind them. It's basically everything that Game of Thrones is today. It's amazing. But it was on. It was a card game, and I was like, "Oh, cool! This art's amazing. I'll be the person that has it." And then I was literally the only person I knew that was. I was just like, I just wasted all this money on this card game that no one else played. And then suddenly, I wasn't into card games anymore. So I'm going back over the phases. <laughs> Doug, you cray, you cray. So, do you still have the card game somewhere? Yeah, I do. And and can it play? It plays two people. It's head to head. I have. Um, well, if you have another person that has a deck, yes, oh, okay. so you, you have to find another deck. You have to find someone that has a deck to play against because they'll have awesome. because you make decks just like magic, yep. right? Yep. So you have these cards, and some of them are like you know like your energy cards and your fighting cards and yeah. your spells and your whatever. And each game has their own culture, which they define it. Yep. So I still have a lot of Shadow Fist. I have a Shadow Fist deck, and then I have a lot of Hyborian Gates cards. Yeah, dude. Because um, someone died and left me a hundred bucks, and I used all of that to buy this card game. <laughs> because I was in seventh grade, and I was an idiot. Um, exactly. We play games here sometimes. You should bring those over. Uh, the art it itself is amazing. I'm telling you. Google yeah. it. Look up these people. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the point is that I'm, I'm going back over the phases I had. And, and and kung fu movies has always been like kung fu. And, and it started with this movie called The Last Dragon, which was Barry Gordy, who's the guy that created and ran Motown. Okay. It was called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. So he made a martial arts Motown movie <laughs> where it's essentially 
the soundtrack is as important as the film. And so there's all this crazy music in it that is, some of it's good and some of it is like just so 80s that you can't even believe it. And it's about a guy named Leroy Green who goes, people call him Bruce Leroy. And he is a black man, a well, boy, he's like a teenager, supposed to be like late teens, early 20s, who lives in Harlem. And Bruce Lee's teacher also lives in Harlem and has trained him to become a dragon, like Bruce Lee. But then there's this guy, Shonuff, the Shogun of Harlem, who's like the greatest martial artist in Harlem. And then they have a they have a feud. And then the whole movie, you got a young William, you got cameos by young William H. Macy, you got cameos what? by young Chaz Palminteri. Okay? It's crazy. That movie's crazy. Anyway, the la- Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Some people will know. Buster Rhymes actually in the music video once dressed up as Shonuff. Because Buster Rhymes kind of, like when his hair was crazy, he looked a lot like that guy, Shonuff. Julius, Julius McCary or something like that. I can't remember the guy's, the actor's name. Yeah, so that was a, sh- that, and that movie made me start watching Kung Fu movies. Yeah. Again, had a lot of Asian friends and had Latin friends that also, and black friends that also liked martial arts movies. Yeah. So we would watch Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was the baddest just the baddest it's Bruce Lee and then I got to Jackie Chan because of that and okay. I remember watching Shokusugi Sonny Chiba who were like the Japanese sort of versions like they were doing karate movies yeah. right and then you see them now show up in like weird movies like Ninja Assassin or like Tarantino's Kill Bill or something like that um, and then like Gordon Liu uh-huh. these are people Gordon Liu was a guy that was like this was like the guy who was like a huge star in Asia yeah. at the same time as Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan. Okay. And he, again, like now, he, I think he was in Kill Bill as well. I think Kill Bill had both um, Sonny Chiba and Gordon Liu in it. Um, Sammo Hung? Yeah, Sammo Hung. Okay. I Sammo remember, Hung. I remember him from the TV show that they did. TV show that my grandma liked. <laughs> what was it? I forget what the name of it was. <laughs> But Sammo Hung is still making martial arts movies. I actually just saw this movie the other night. It's on Netflix. It's called um, Rise of a Legend. Ooh. And it's starring this guy named Eddie Pang, who I assume is a bi- becoming a big star in China. There's a guy I follow named Donnie Yen, who's the fucking bomb, right? Yeah. Have you heard of Ip Man? No. There's a movie called Ip Man. Oh, is- wait. Uh, I think so, but I think the way I saw it was Ip Man. Yeah, that's the name, Ip Man. Okay. Um, that's the name. I haven't seen the movie, but the title. Check it out. Yes. Um, it looks like it's IP man because we go like, oh, it's a, he's oh, a superhero, like but his name is Ipman, right? <laughs> um, and this is the guy who actually did teach Bruce Lee. He was, a, he was, um, oh. uh, Wing Chun Kung Fu, which is the style of Kung Fu that he studied. <laughs> he was the person that went from the North of China to Hong Kong and ended up being Bruce Lee's teacher Wow, for real. So there's Ipman one, two, and three in two, Sammo Hung's in it Ooh. and he, they fight in three, Mike Tyson is in it What? and then they fight. <laughs> I know. Then Rise of a Legend, and this is Donnie Yen, right? And he's a badass. Donnie Yen's actually going to be in Rogue One. I was like, oh shit, Donnie Yen's in Rogue One. He actually might have been in one of those other, I think he was in like Shanghai Nights. Okay, the one after Shanghai Noon. Yeah, the one after Shanghai Noon. I think he was in Shanghai Nights. He might have been in one of the Rush Hour movies. He's one of those guys, just kind of like um, Jet Li started showing up in American films as a bad guy, like in Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Donnie Yen started doing that as okay. well. So right now, I guess Eddie Ping is like the new newer guy in China, yeah. and then he just made a movie, Rise of the Legend, which Sammo Hung is in. Oh, dope. Okay, I, I done. I watch all of these. <laughs> I also learned something important from that movie about Chinese history. Okay. So you know how... <laughs> I'm just talking. I'm talking, Doug. Yeah. We'll get into some real stuff. Yeah. So 
Prohibition was the era in the United States mm -hmm. where criminals became so rich that they had to organize their crime. That's why we have organized crime. <laughs> yeah. Because we made booze illegal. <laughs> yeah. and, and nobody was following this law. <laughs> so anyone who was drinking was giving money to the mob. Mm -hmm. And they were making so much money yeah. that they that booze became synonymous with <clears throat> prostitution and heroin and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're making so much money that they had to create these really sophisticated organizations in which they have judges and cops in their pocket mm -hmm. to be able to run this organization. Yeah. We had prohibition for like 13 years. And it put money in the pockets of people who became powerful forever after that. Yeah. China essentially had an era of prohibition that lasted hundreds of years. What? where gangs became the government. Oh, wow. That's why that's why people like the yakuza, oh. like organizations like yakuza and triad, they have they have histories that are as long, they've been around longer than the United States has been around. Holy shit. And they've structured themselves in like in like like royalty. And they are essentially royalty. It's like this is how life is here. They organized there was no Ooh. government. So they they became the government and ran the streets. <laughs> And ran the opium game. <laughs> Just like 50 Cent. They ran. It wasn't the crack game. It was the opium game. The opium game. They ran that. They were shipping heroin to all the other countries. Oh, they controlled parts of the city. And they were feuding gangs. That's what Rise of Legends is about. It's about some of these different gangs that are feuding. Yeah. And Samuel Hong is like the head of a gang. And he has three adopted sons. Ooh. So it's like. It's just like. They passed down their empires through. Adoption and lineage, Ooh. and they've been doing that for hundreds of years. That's why <laughs> those so organizations, those organizations, are ain't nothing to fuck with. Oh man, ain't nothing to fuck with. Wow, there is legendary. <laughs> they're basically royalty and government at the same time. Ooh. So that's why they. That's, that's what I learned from that movie. I'm like, oh shit. Like, okay, don't fuck with they them have, ever. Don't, even... don't ever fuck with them. <laughs> don't ever ever fuck with them. There's one thing I can tell you easy. right That's now. That's an easy decision. That's just an easy organized decision. criminals, <laughs> organized crime, especially if they're from China or Japan or Korea, do not fuck with them. They've been their organization has been around longer than the United States. They're no jokes. They're no joke. That's that's crazy. That's Oh man. Yeah, anyway, so, that's what I learned from a martial arts a kung fu movie. <laughs> that's what I do when I get high. That means, that means uh, if you go over to China or Japan or Korea or whatever and there's you see someone who might be in maybe one of those gangs and you're just like, I'm just, just, just gonna steer clear of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> well it's interesting too because it's like, you know, we, we live in a culture where there's you know, and people talk about representation and all this stuff. So, like, a Asian people, Asian men especially, are always portrayed as, like, emasculated buffoons mm. in some sort of way. Yeah. With funny accents, <laughs> and they're of small stature. But if you study the history, like, there's a reason that China, like, is becoming a world power. There's a reason we owe, we as a country owe oh, China so money. So much money. There's a reason that China has been a continuous empire, like a contiguous culture. Yeah. I think they're the longest contiguous culture in the in the world <laughs> like they've been running their country in a way for th a thousand years yeah so it's just like they're like but we because of our identity is like they have to be weak for us to be strong it's like no 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 they are super strong they're super fucking strong <laughs> i'm trying to teach myself about the world more yeah because it's very easy to get um 
stuck in like what the United States is it is. Yeah. But it's just like I'm trying to learn about more about Asia. I'm trying to learn more about Africa, yeah. the entire continent with yeah. many countries in it, <laughs> and a continent that is a gigantic continent, <laughs> South America. Anyway. Central. No, nah, not central. Fuck central. 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 No. <laughs> No, I actually, I actually went to Belize recently. I can't, I couldn't Belize it, and it was, it was, it was unbelievable. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got a high five for that one too. Um, it was, well, you know, I, we, we, Belize is right next to Guatemala, and it's just like, it's shit as simple as, oh, Belize is right next to Guatemala. Belize, which I did not know, national national language is English. What? They used to be called British Honduras, <laughs> right? And their national language is English. Now, a lot of people do speak Spanish because they're in Central America. Yeah. So it's like Guatemala's right next to it and Guatemala speaks Spanish. So a lot, and a lot of Guatemalans come into Belize um, to study, okay. to go to school. So yeah. they learn English. So a lot of Guatemalans speak English. Okay. Belize also, so English is the national language, but people speak Spanish and they speak Creole. There's a Belizean Ooh, Belizean I, Creole. I know a little bit of Creole. Yeah, they got their own Sac, dialect of it. Sac passé. Ah, that's it's mean like what's up? almost Haitian. It's a Haitian Creole that you're speaking right there. Yeah. Um, Naboule. <laughs> that means not much. I mean, like. <laughs> I just like that you're doing it. Um, well, because Dominican Republic, I was there. For two, I was there for two years. Oh, okay. I, that's as a result, I speak Spanish, but made a lot of. Um, Creole Haitian friends mm. out there, and makes sense. So yeah, I, I didn't learn a lot. That was the only two phrases. Oh, and then mayas means um, bad breath. <laughs> wow. So if you got if you heard that a lot, it means you need to chew more gum next time you're in Dominican Republic. Um, well, but that what you're saying is is exactly what I'm talking about. Like knowing that there's a relationship between DR and Haiti. Mm-hmm. Knowing that there's a relationship between Belize and Guatemala, yeah. and actually being like, oh, there's these countries are next to each other, which influences how the politics and the cultures go. Yeah. So it's like it goes Belize, Guatemala, then Mexico's next. Yeah. So what I was told by a person in Guatemala, a Guatemalan guy, mm-hmm. the Guatemala Guatemala City is huge, okay. and it has this crazy population, yeah. because he said that Central America, they all have the same accent. They all speak Spanish with the same accent. Mexico has a Mexican accent. It's like they have a very specific accent to yeah. their country. He's like Guatemala, um, Honduras, Nicaragua, El Salvador. Yeah. They don't. Ha- they all kind of sound similar. So what happens is people from all of Central America go up into Mexico, try to cross the border into the United States. They get caught and deported. Oh. But then because they don't have a discernible accent, because you can hear what a Mexican sounds like and you send them back to Mexico. Yeah. But since all these Central Americans don't have a discernible accent, they all say they're from Guatemala. What? And then they get deported to Guatemala City. So that way they don't have to go back to their other country. <laughs> so he's just like, so Guatemala City is, he's like, it's just huge. There's too many people. Because they're de- they're just, lo- it's getting loaded with people who are being deported from trying to cross the border in the United States. Oh. That's something I would have never have known about. Yeah, Guatemala City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it also it, it, it has an effect politically to what's happening in Guatemala yeah. because it's overloaded with people who are not Guatemalan. It's overloaded with people who are from all the other countries in Central America, and it's just there's overpopulation. There's not enough room for everybody. Oh. And that becomes a mess. Oh, no. That's why he was telling me about it. So you were in Belize and he was in Belize, or you went to Guatemala? I went to Guatemala. I was in a part of Belize that's right next to the Guatemalan border. Okay. Because I went to the ancient city of Tikal. With the the, the temples and everything. Hell yeah, man! Oh, cool. Actually, went to the top of a tower 
where George Lucas went <clears throat> because he filmed some stuff there. Ooh. And when you go to the top of it, you recognize it from Star Wars. Ooh. He went there when they told me, the guy said that he Endor? came there in the 70s where... Oh, the Endor? Um, yeah, like, we're, I can't remember exactly what the scene is, but there's clearly, like, ancient towers that are going up into the clouds, yeah. like, above. It's like there's a mist and you see the clouds above it, uh-huh. or the towers above it. I went to the top of one of those towers. Uh, and apparently George Lucas went there when nobody was going there. They just were kind of excavating all that stuff yeah. and making it tourist a tourist destination mm-hmm. but he went there and he filmed some stuff before anybody was going up there That's awesome. but also like learning about again learning about all these cultures lets me see how again Reese, how strong the original star wars like how much research yeah because i learned about ninjas for real yeah it's the story of the jedi <laughs> there is the nin there is a specific i want to say it's um i can't remember the name of the city but there was a specific group of ninja okay now what i know about the ninjas is ninjas weren't they weren't called ninjas they were called shinobi oh shinobi which means shadow warrior from the video game right shinobi. they were called shinobi <laughs> they the reason that they're so mythological to people is because they invented counter op they invented counter intelligence they invented Ooh. embedding themselves in a place and, and getting to know everyone and seeing where the exits and the entrances are, it seeing where people, sight. they created counterintelligence, Ooh. which is, so when they showed up to do a job, they knew all this stuff. <laughs> they had all this info. They invented it. That's why they seemed like they were invincible because they knew all this stuff before they got there. Oh, shit. And there was all these different schools of learning it. What? And then a huge warlord in Japan came into this town to just he was overthrowing everyone setting fire to the countryside what? and these this little group of ninja of shinobi stood up to him and defeated him because he was arrogant and then but then what happened was he came back with more forces than everyone than, than they could stand up against and they all got scattered all around japan Ooh. like like an empire showed up and then all these jedi got scattered all over the universe <laughs> oh shit it's the exact same story and you went like, oh shit, George Lucas like read this Japanese myth- mythology or history and was like, hmm. Mm, but in space. But in space. Hmm, but in space. In a way that Neil deGrasse Tyson will be like, we wouldn't hear an explosion in a vacuum. But, but I love these movies. I love these. Come with me to Rogue One. Why isn't Neil deGrasse Tyson in the Star Wars movie? I don't know. Cornel West showed up in a damn Matrix. Dude. Anyway, um, what else you want to talk about? Let's talk about Star Wars a little bit. Why so not? Rogue One's coming out. Yeah. I've only seen the original trailer. I haven't watched the new one because I wanna, I wanna just go in as, as a. You know, I actually read a review of the new trailer, uh-huh. and it, it's, it made me not want to watch the trailer, because what they said is, it basically is just, what they did is they made a trailer. As if the people who are going to see this have never seen any Star Wars movie, mm. and they're and instead of it being a trailer for people who, because the people who know Star Wars and love Star Wars is it's a giant group of people, yeah. so they didn't make a trailer for fans of the of the original series, and and they just kind of repeated the same thing like and there's a fight and there's a thing and then we end on the back of 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 Darth Vader's fucking helmet, bro. Prequel. They basically made a prequel trailer. That doesn't tell you anything about the movie. Yeah. It just looks like what a Star Wars trailer would look like. Okay. So it's nothing to see. Yeah. Uh, although I am excited about Rogue One. Rogue I One. am too. It looks really interesting. And then episode eight. I gotta, um, I gotta finish that episode eight script I'm working on. 
<laughs> I, got, oh. I got 30 pages in. 32 pages in. So wait a minute, what do you mean? You're writing an episode? Oh yeah, I started writing a spec. Star Wars Episode Eight. Because Should... after seven, after seeing seven four times, I was like, I'm so fucking stoked right now. I can't wait. I, mm. I need to. I need to. You saw The Force Awakens four times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was The Force Awakens. <laughs> May the fours be, be with, with you. you. <laughs> That's horrible. May the 4th, when that happened, it was like, May the 4th, huh? everybody get it? I'm like, no, I'm going to stay off Twitter. I'm more interested in Cinco de Mayo. Um, uh, anyway. Yeah, Star Wars. Um, you ever read any of those books? Like the Star Wars like fiction? No, of the... The official Star Wars fiction. Yeah, I haven't, but... I feel like I bought like two or three and I just couldn't get into them. Yeah. Star Wars role-playing game, got into that for five seconds. Okay. Bad idea. <laughs> Did you ever play D&D? Yeah. Oh, man. I played ghetto D&D, though. Okay. Which was just about rolling dice when it came down to it. <laughs> just rolling dice. 20-sided and 10-sided dice. Just rolling dice. Everything was just about rolling dice. Yeah. We didn't even make, like, character sheets. Like, what's his charisma? Who gives a shit? Give me those two 10-sided die. <laughs> All right, I got a yellow and a red. Red! Ah, yellow's greater. I lose. <laughs> That's what we used just to do. Made it up as you went along, which, yeah. I mean, is... Part of the essence of D and D. Yeah, my friend Norman, Norman, Costa Rican. Okay. Kid, I used to hang out with. Yeah. Oh, childhood. Am I right, Doug? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but anyway, about Star Wars. You want to get back to it? Yeah. All right. What about it? Um, what uh, what kind of theories do you have for Episode Eight? Um. Oh my God. What kind of theories do I have? I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously we're going to find out more about what's going on with Luke and uh, Ray. We're going to find out more about what's going on with that. Um, I love that, the ending shot of the first, because I was just like, it was just like a twirling shot. He looks like he's about to cry. But he also, I thought, well, he knew, he knew she was coming in that moment. Like, you can see he was expecting her in some sort of way. Yeah, he was just chilling on that rock. So I would like, I would see it becoming like exactly what, what Obi-Wan did to Luke. And that is now Luke's time. To pass it to Ray, yeah. and she's more powerful than he wa- is. Like he was more powerful than Obi Wan yep. was. Yep. So it's like that's what I, that's He's what I see happening. The literal torch. Passing the literal <laughs> torch. <laughs> the light torch. The, the first the first scene I wrote was just picks up right there, mm. and um, he reaches out his uh, his hand, and you know. It flies to him. Oh, nice! Yeah, and then yeah, and then he's just like, My, "Hello, old friend." Yeah, like I haven't seen this since. And then maybe he like looks at his mechanical hand, like his robot hand. Yeah, that's nice, <laughs> father. <laughs> what, what'd you say? Huh? Oh, you're here. <laughs> oh, hey, uh, I'll teach you to. Yeah, I gotta teach you about this force. Jedi and stuff. Um. <laughs> Yeah, because clearly, clearly, it's like it was Luke and Darth Vader before. It is, it is Rey and Kylo, Kylo Ren in the yeah. end. Yeah, that's the only direction it could go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot that I liked about the movie. There's a lot that I disliked about the movie. Um, I liked. I, I guess it's just that, like, I. That's why I'm really, really interested in what Ryan Johnson is gonna do. Yeah. 
because look, I like J.J. Abrams as much as the next person, mm-hmm. but I felt like in a way it was like a highlight reel of really good sci-fi. Like it's a sort of like like that Star Trek, the Star Trek movies that he made as well. Yeah, where especially into um, into darkness, where I felt like it was a highlight reel of when this is really good put together, but he didn't bring a style of his own to it. Okay, and what I think Ryan Johnson can do is put his imprint on the Star Wars franchise because clearly that's an influence on Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Clearly there's an influence on J.J. Abrams and I think J.J. Abrams made the choice of I don't want to get in a fear so I want to make this movie look like how this movie's supposed to look. Yeah, But there's a part of me that wanted something else. Something that was his in there. Okay, And I feel like Ryan Johnson will, will do that. Yeah, And then what's the, the, the ninth one is supposed to be uh, Lord and Miller I think. Who wrote um, Lego Movie and uh, okay. I think that's and and oh yeah yeah I and think it's made, those guys um, and and Last, Last Man, Man on Earth, Earth. <sighs> I think that they're supposed to write and direct the last one. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the Russo brothers did the you know Captain America um, Winter Soldier. Yes. That they um, movie. Oh. I'm sorry, not Winter Soldier. Civil War. They did Civil War. Yeah. And that they're supposed to do the Avengers as well. Okay. The the third Avengers movie. So it's like the Russo brothers are doing that and Lord and Miller are doing this and those are both people that came out of TV. I think the Russo brothers did were they happy endings or like Oh, maybe. I can't remember. I never saw happy endings. I think that neither did I, but I think that the thing is that these are people who were kind of comedy writers. Yeah. But they are good at structure. It's just like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost and yep. Edgar Wright and those guys. Yeah. You got to put this in the hands of people who know their shit, who know their stuff, <laughs> and are reverent to the source material, yeah. but not so intimidated by it that they're afraid to put their imprint on it. Mm-hmm. That's what I think the key is. That's what I think Ryan Johnson. I hope Ryan Johnson will do. Yeah, it could happen. It could. It could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Could what, mo- could happen. Uh, well, well, what's uh, what's something in comedy that you haven't done yet that you would love to do? Um, the number one thing that I would like to really do is a legitimate stand-up comedy tour. Yeah. Where I am on the road and go from, from city to city and route it in that way where I could essentially traverse the country from city to city yeah. doing stand-up. Um, I, I struggle with a lot of different things because I, I, I understand in a way that I'm not unknown anymore, mm-hmm. but I also understand that I'm not at like a Louis C.K., Bill Burr level. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I only mean that, I mean that not only in terms of ability, mm-hmm. but in terms of notoriety. Mm-hmm. Like, in some cities in this country, I have to notice and accept that people will actually buy a ticket to come see me, which is a nice feeling. <laughs> but it's not enough places... You know, so it keeps me grounded in a way that yeah. I could go to Portland, sell a room out, then go to Oklahoma City and then have 10 people in a room that sits 200, still have a great show, yeah. and then also be like, okay, you know what? I actually liked Oklahoma City. I like that audience. I like the guys who put the show together. I would definitely want to go back there. Yeah. So I'm trying to do, to experiment with how to build an audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then I'm hoping that like to continue to, to, to use that to be able to develop stand-up. Yeah, and then you know I want to try to do a special next year. Yeah, I feel like I'm I'm somewhat at my experience level. There's a lot of things that people who are less experienced than me have done, like they've yeah. done our special or two or three, and it's like I've been doing comedy five years longer than that person. I've not not done one hour special. Yeah, so it's like, but that's because I've been distracted by 
a lot of other stuff. All my other stuff. <laughs> I got so much stuff to do tonight. I can't do my standard right. So much stuff. Everybody wants to know it. Yeah. All my stuff. 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 All my stuff, my stuff, my stuff, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I love that we we both we both put the we both put our hands on the imaginary headphone on one ear, and then did the Whitney Houston hand, or the it's more Mariah Carey hand than the Whitney Houston hand, isn't it? You know what that song just did? What's I think that? we just left an imprint on this episode. Yes. <laughs> um, what's your favorite part about doing comedy? Um. Stand up or otherwise. My favorite part about, well, I'll say what my favorite part of doing stand up is, because um, that's the first thing I thought of, is um, stand up is is in a way to me the most purest form of theater, of performance art, mm -hmm. um, in which it is one person on the stage connecting with an audience, and in that there's an exploration of ideas and, and social norms and words and and you know um, just all these different issues can be examined in different ways mm -hmm. whether they be directly political or absurd um, and that we're in it together is a sort of an interesting way stand up is one of the things one of the few things where a group of people get together to kind of have an experience yeah um, music is the same um, as that, it's just it's a different listening tool. It's a, there's a different there's a different purpose. There's a different relationship. Mm -hmm. There's passivity in music. There's not passivity in stand up. It, it demands an active, active listening, yeah. yeah, from the audience. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so, what I love about that is being able to um, to have that connection with the group of people and to collaborate with them because I believe that's what stand-up is stand-up yeah. is a collaboration with the audience yeah. because it doesn't matter what you think is funny a group of people are about to laugh at it or not yeah. and then to let you know if it's they're about to know and and if they laugh at the wrong place then you're un you're not being clear about that thing oh that's what they laughed at well that's the opposite of what i want how do i make it so this is the thing that gets laughed at as opposed to this you know and then sometimes that's making your jokes so that way it's always it's it it is process it's process and it's rehearsal and it's performance all at the same time it's alive it's alive <laughs> that's right it's it a, it's really a living is. it's a living breathing document <laughs> like the constant like they say about the constitution it's a living art form yeah always changing always trying to uh be get better and always trying to be like all right that maybe that's not that funny i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave it i'm just gonna leave absolutely. it absolutely yeah and and learning how to have that conversation with yourself. Yeah. To and kill to, your babies. And oh. <laughs> but that's why I say all writing is writing. There's yeah. many jokes, there's many tags or <clears throat> angles to jokes that I keep doing and then they don't work and then finally I admit to myself this little piece never works. <laughs> so I put that piece away. Yeah. I either put the whole joke away and rethink it mm -hmm. or I take the things out of it that do work yeah. and trash everything that doesn't. Yeah. That doesn't mean I that 
that I'm not going to use those things for maybe a different joke. Because mm-hmm. sometimes something will happen and be like, oh, that one tag from that joke from five years ago, this actually makes this work now. <laughs> because a new experience happened. Or I had a new revelation. Yeah. Or I'm trying to think of tying things together and something happens. So all writing is always writing. Yeah. It's great. If it doesn't work now, put it in the drawer. It'll work in five years. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought of this one joke that I tried to do a couple years back from a couple years ago when I did the joke and it landed and it hit and I was like alright dope but it just came to me and I was like oh yeah there's this experience another thing about stand up that I love is, is you can just I mean you have the mic so you can be like oh this reminds me of something this is a little off track but and then I tried it and then it worked and I was like yes oh man mm-hmm. <laughs> that's also it's simultaneously in a way the danger of stand-up as well yeah because it's like i'm going to therapy now and my therapist used to be a comic okay which is really fascinating yeah because he understands the personality type of that is attracted to doing stand-up yeah and he also understands what stand-up can do to hurt or help that same personality type mm-hmm. so there is the danger of essentially it's as it's as it the, the metaphor is like a comic who's really fat has a lot of fat jokes yeah it's like i can't lose weight because if I lose weight, I can't do these fat jokes. If I lose weight, I lose 30 minutes of material. So they ostensibly keep themselves in an unhealthy state yeah. to not only keep the jokes, but to create jokes out of that. Yeah. So fat, you know, I'm quote unquote, yeah. is just an example. Um, it might be someone who's like, I'm a mess, and that's their character that they play on stage. Yeah. You know, I, can I don't. Never, I can never get cleaned up. Otherwise. I don't learn. <laughs> And so they have to keep themselves in that place so that way they can keep the jokes. Yeah. We, we, we have this filter that we, we you know, a, a character that we're playing on stage that we filter our experiences through that lens so we can report from the place of, of this guy I am. Yeah. But then what happens is we start seeing everything through that lens that we no longer see anything outside of that lens. Mm-hmm. So we become the character. And yeah. then it's hard to get out of the character. To get out of the character. <laughs> To bring it back to Curb, what I hear is Larry um, Larry David, he's realizing he's playing out anxiety things in the show so he doesn't do them in real life. Oh. He gets into a situation in real life <laughs> where he doesn't make that decision, but he goes, oh man, I could have done that. He, he gets worried. Because in a lot of ways, anxiety is it's storytelling yeah. that we're using as a weapon against ourselves. Oh, wow. Holy shit. We're using it as a weapon against ourselves. That's what anxiety is. Yeah. But essentially, any anxiety fantasy you have is a story that's being told. So you either live it out or make a character live it out on a page. Yeah. So that way you don't have to. It's brilliant. And then you can problem solve through the story of, well, if that guy made that decision, the one I'm glad I didn't make when I was there, geez, I'm glad I didn't tell her she was ugly. However, this guy said, you're ugly. She slaps him, which is what I was afraid would happen if I said it. And now what? Everyone's like, why did you tell someone such that she was ugly? Actually, the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm that got me into it, Larry David is driving down the street, and Wanda Sykes is like, she's like speed walking or something. And he leans out of the window, and he says, I'd know that ass anywhere to say hi to her, right? Like, oh, that's my friend. I'm gonna say, he's going to say a joke to her. And then she gives him this look like, what the... And then he goes on the rest of his day. And not until later, right, 
He's at home. This is the thing that got me. I was like, oh, that's hilarious. He's at home, and then his wife, Cheryl Hines, is like, oh, by the way, why did you tell Wanda she has a fat ass? He's like, what? Yeah, you yelled, hey, fat ass, out of, out of a window at her? He's like, no, no, I, I was just saying hi. You said something about her ass to say hi, Larry? You shouldn't say anything about her ass. No, I was just trying to ding dong. Who's that? It's Wanda. Uh, he starts to run, literally run away up the stairs. Then the door opens, and he's like, he turns around, Wanda? And she's like, oh, you recognize my face. I thought I had to turn around, bend over for you to recognize who I am. What kind of thing is that to say to somebody, Larry? Hi, ass. I know your ass. Hey, ass. And I was like, that's so funny. That was the thing that got me. I was like, oh, this show's actually funny. And then I started watching from then on. That might have been like third season. Yeah. I gotta go back. I you, don't, you don't actually, Doug. You actually... I want to say this to everyone listening. You know how everyone around you is like, you gotta see this thing. No, you don't. You don't gotta see anything. You don't have... There's too much shit that's true, that's to true. watch, Doug. Oh, there's way too much. If you never watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, it's actually not going to be important in the end. Everything that everyone is saying, you gotta watch. When you're on your deathbed, holding the hands of your loved ones and your family that I hope that you had a good time with. The last thing that you say before you take that final breath is not gonna be, I wish. I never saw the wire. <laughs> Let it go, you do not have to watch everything. You do not have to watch everything. And it's crazy to try. It is crazy to try because the more, the more things I'm behind on that I just didn't watch 10 years ago, I'm like, but there's all this really cool shit right now. There's a lot of really cool shit. <laughs> and that's fine. Because there's as much TV as there has been music. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's always been a lot of music. A lot. And a lot of genres. And you go, mm -hmm. I like jazz. But then there's thousands of jazz records. <laughs> and you're like, oh, all this is jazz? All of this is jazz? <laughs> well, what kind of jazz do I like? Bop? Fusion? <laughs> blues? Big band? Swing? There's all this different stuff. That's how much TV there is. Yeah. So it's fine. If you have locked yourself into a couple of shows that you like, writers and actors and producers that you like, fucking follow their careers. And every now and then, if you want to watch... I, I always think that like if there's a show that you've always been meaning to get to, watch the pilot. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's it. And then some people go like, oh, the pilot's not good. you got to watch this episode. Then watch that episode. For instance, BoJack Horseman, which I love. It's one of yeah. my favorite shows. Yeah. I don't think the pilot's that good. I think there's a lot... I know a lot of people who watch it and go like, he's so unlikable. I'm like, yeah, but then it, it, it becomes about how he's stuck in that cycle. Yeah. And it's so it's deep. so deep. It's and so, so existential. So and you're good. like, what? This is about a guy with a horse head. <laughs> and you find yourself relating to a guy with a horse head. <laughs> More than any real person you're seeing on TV right now. That's why it's confusing to some people. And that's fine. It's just like um, uh, Parks and Rec. Some people say like, oh, no, no, you got it's the third season or the second season. You got to get in there on that. Forget the first season. People have said that to me about a lot of shows. I'm like, fine, I won't watch the pilot. I'll watch the first episode of that season and see how good it is. And you know what? I can watch it and be like, oh, I see how good it is. Even if you like it, you don't have to keep watching it. I watched the first two episodes of Downton Abbey and I haven't gone back. I watched it and I immediately went, I get it. I see why this show's good. I get why, I get why people like it. Yeah. Freaking Charlie Cox, the guy who plays Daredevil, was in the pilot. 
Yeah. And he's excellent. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow, this is... I mean, he's not a lead in it. He's just a guest star. Yeah. But that shows you how good the show is, is that that's the level of guest star that they're mm-hmm. getting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is good. I don't have to watch this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I see why people like it. I don't need to watch it anymore. Yeah, exactly. I did that with, um, what was it? Forever? <laughs> don't even know what that is. With the main guy's Yoan Griffith. Oh, yeah, the guy who played Mr. Fantastic in the old bad Fantastic <laughs> yeah. Four movies. Yeah. The old bad, there's the old bad and the new bad. Yeah. And then there's the one that they made in the rest of development. <laughs> and that was beautiful. And that one might be as good as the last one. <laughs> Never saw the last one. I got to see it. Someone, oh man, who had a joke about that, how unbelievable that movie is. Everybody getting mutated, sure, that's believable. But a black man who was allowed to adopt a white girl? Get the hell out of here. No adoption agency would be like, black man, here is a white woman for you. You're straight, right? All right, no one is going to like let that happen. Um, you know, I actually didn't have many problems with that newest new one. I still got to see it. Because it was, it was like a fun... It, it made fun of itself, and also it was very just self-aware, but it had some cool story elements, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, I want to see it because I'm really interested in the competition between Kate and Rooney Mara, <laughs> the two sisters. You know what I'm talking about? Um, Kate Mara played Sue Storm, right? Okay. And, and then, she was in House of Cards. And then who's Rooney Mara? Rooney Mara was in the American remake of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I haven't seen that and yet. And she got still. an Oscar nomination for it. So there's these two sisters <laughs> that have these coinciding careers... One, the youngest one, got her Oscar nomination. And Kate is doing as much as she can. Like, it's like, I haven't seen Rooney Mara in anything in years. I feel like, uh, maybe she was in What's It Called? I think she was in that Jobs movie. But, like, okay. I have, I, I'm not privy to what she's doing. And Kate Mara, I keep seeing everything. And I'm just like, all right, this is just funny to me. It's you got battle. these two sisters. Like, what's it like? The, like Dakota and Elle Fanning. <laughs> There are Who's winning? groups of white sisters <laughs> who are in this non-stop lockstep competition in Hollywood right now. That's what everyone should, that's, should be watching. That's the real show. That's what you got to watch. That's the real performance. <laughs> Did you watch Stranger Things? Mm-mm. Oh. I've yet to watch it. Um, yeah. I've heard a lot about it. Mm. I'm just knee-deep in some other things right now. Yeah. I'll downplay it, and I'll just say... Um, <laughs> the opposite of what everyone has said yep, to me. Yep. <laughs> I want to watch that. I also want to watch the Get Down. The Get Down looks really interesting. Oh, I put that on my queue. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, I don't even. I didn't even read the description. I just saw all the dancing and everything happening in the background. Honestly, like, you know, it's going to be fun. And you said it with the, with the Star Wars trailer. Like it's like so if, if, uh, you don't need a trailer. Like a trailer doesn't do anything. Yeah. A trailer is just trying to get you to trust this thing. <laughs> You're going to like it. It's like other things that you like. No, no, no. You're going to like it. Please give us your money. We promise. We promise. Just to show me the show. That's why the movie industry is, is like backwards. Because it's all just about if you're going to buy one ticket. Yeah. They can make Suicide Squad. Did you see it? No. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. It is so astonishingly bad. And I have to step back and go, what happened? Which is what I always think since Spider-Man 3, since Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3. I'm like, what? Because Sam Raimi is not a bad director. Even his bad movies are good, right? Yeah. So I'm like, well, what got in his way here? And then looking at my research and going like, oh, there's all these different clues to where, like when he said, I never want Venom. 
he said multiple times, I'm not interested in Venom, and there's Venom in that, which means that he was forced to put Venom in there, which means that they had to hire another leading actor, which means that they were paying money for Topher Grace and James Franco and Tobey Maguire and and Kirsten Dunst. And the guy from Wings. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) Who is it? Tony Shalhoub? Who was it? No, the janitor. The um... The janitor. Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. That's right, because he played Sandman. Yeah. They had all these stars, and he was an Oscar-nominated dude by that yeah. time. At that time, because he was what was it, Sideways? He got an Oscar nomination oh, for. I don't know. I don't remember. So you had all these people that they're paying money for, and then they go, "Well, we got to make sure that there's enough scenes for them." <laughs> I'm not paying three million dollars for someone to be in one scene. <laughs> so then suddenly the movie is filled with too much shut stuff. Yeah. Danny Elfman didn't do the music of Spider-Man Three. It was too much. It was way yeah. too many bad guys. There's way, way too much too stuff. It was, it was oblong. <sighs> and then you have Danny Elfman. That was that was the thing that put it over. There was an interview with Danny Elfman where he didn't do the score for Spider-Man 3, and he was asked why. He's like, you've done all these things with Sam Raimi, and you didn't do the score for the third one. What's up? And he said, that man's not that man is not Sam Raimi. Oh, shit. That's what Danny Elfman said. <laughs> so it made me go, Wait, oh. Wait, did Sam Raimi get a symbiote suit? I just think that he had too many people sniffing up his butt oh. about what he's doing in every single movie because it was a franchise. Yeah. And that he wasn't I mean, able to make the movie, especially after the freedom he had for Spider-Man 2. He wasn't able to make the movie he wanted for Spider-Man Three, yeah. and went crazy and was and and probably wasn't being great to his friends because he was super stressed out. That's what people do. Oh man! So it makes sense. So with Suicide Squad, I'm like David Ayer, who directed it. This dude came out of like he made this indie film called End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena, right? Oh, same guy. I, I saw that movie. Okay. Yeah. This is a dude who was doing indie stuff. Who has a shot to do a multi, like a huge feature yeah. working with Will Smith. Yeah. And I think he had a lot of executives sniffing up his, like, like make sure you get this kind of shot. And they were micromanaging it to make it a, a studio film that'll yeah. perform in China, that'll yeah. perform in all these markets, that, they, that the movie was just all over the place. But it doesn't matter because they made their 15 bucks before you saw it. <laughs> you had to pay the 15 bucks to even see how yeah. bad it was. Yeah. And they don't care. They think they take that as good. Oh, we made something that people will want to see. It doesn't matter what it is in the end. It doesn't matter if it's good. It doesn't matter if it's good. They already paid for it. Just fucking make it. Even if half the people give, <laughs> ask for their money back, we still made it killing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So it's a huge success because it made a lot of money, even though it's one of the worst. It's basically like a bunch of two-minute YouTube clips strung together there's no consistency to the movie it like changes styles 80 billion times I'm like what the hell is going on although I did walk out of there going like you know Will Smith is legitimately good because like he he at least at least I walked out of there being like well Will Smith was good in it like I like him yeah clearly he took something that's crap and made it work He's like, after after Earth, never again. <laughs> He's like, I did a weird accent that doesn't exist. M. Night Shyamalan told me it's going to be good. <laughs> never again am I doing After Earth. Never again. Ooh, there's this show called Wayward Pines. and it's on, Oh, yeah. It's an Amazon show, right? Uh, it's on Fox. Okay, never mind. <laughs> But it's um it's really cool and M Night Shyamalan is executive oh, producer. Oh yeah, but uh, that's why a lot of people aren't watching it because he's the executive producer. They're like M Night, ah, 
But that sucks too because I think he's actually it's really cool. He's someone who got backed into a corner mm-hmm. because he had this style of writing that became so everybody wanted a version of it. Yeah. And then everybody started going to his movies trying to guess what the twist is. Yep. And so what I think he should have done mm-hmm. is develop other people. Like develop directors and writers in his vein, hold yeah. them up, collaborate, yeah. delegate. Yeah. This is what people stop doing. It get, becomes about the ego. It becomes all about like I'm right, <laughs> I'm in charge, and I'm making this much money. Therefore, every decision I've made must be correct. <laughs> they don't pay people two hundred fifty million dollars to make incorrect decisions. I make correct decisions. No one doubt me ever. No one challenge me. That's the wrong way to go. Because I think he's a good director visually. He has yeah. an interesting style. Yeah. I would have liked it if he was interpreting other people's stories. Yeah. You know, and then writing scripts for other people to interpret. Ooh, yeah, collaborate. Why not? Collaborate. Life's short. And now you see his name at the top. I remember going to see some movie and they showed a preview for Devil. Yeah. And they said, from M. Night Shyamalan. And people groaned out loud in the movie theater. I'm like, no. I'm like, that sucks for him. That really sucks for him. Because he's the twist guy. What's the twist? Well, it's just be? because yeah. he became he became a gimmick, and people just like were done with him. And they actually like I'm like actually there's a lot of interesting things he's trying to do, yeah. you know. So it's just sort of like he got backed into a corner. Yeah. So people aren't watching a show because he's a producer on it. That sucks. I know. It sucks. And it's a cool story. Like I guess it was three separate books that came out, and. Um, Season one was book one, season two was book two, and I think season three is going to be the last. That's the way you got to do it. And it's it's a it's such a fun story. Um, I don't want to. Sp- it's one of those things where you don't want to spoil anything, or else you already know too much. Oh well, then don't <laughs> tell me stuff. Don't tell me any stuff. I will tell you, Matt Dillon's in the first season. Uh oh, <laughs> Chicklet Mouth Dillon. Does he still have chicklet teeth, or am I just thinking about him? And there's something about Mary. Something wrong, Mary. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Chicklet mouth. Chicklet mouth, Dylan. Yeah, people get those caps, and you're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. You look like Jim Carrey in the mask. <laughs> Somebody should have stopped you. <laughs> <laughs> and you got caps because he's been smoking, so his teeth are stained. No, all right, that's stupid. Do you watch Fresh Off the Boat at all? I haven't seen. They it. have a lot of really cute because it takes place in the '90s, so there's a lot of like. <laughs> There's a lot of 90s references that are hilarious. <laughs> and there was a one, Halloween episode where all the kids are dr- dressing up and one kid comes in as Jim Carrey from The Mask. And he's like, somebody stop. It's great, too, because these kids, they actually weren't born. So these are kids who are that age now. They're 11 and 12 now. They're experiencing and they're, it through a whole different lens. Exactly. <laughs> they're getting to replay what kids in the 90s were concerned with. Yeah. Wow. Oh, The Mask. Who, yeah. was, the, who was the bad guy in The Mask? He, was, he always plays, like, some kind of a mobster dude. Yeah, I forget his name. I feel like his character's name was Dorian or something like that. Probably. Yeah, that was crazy. And Cameron Diaz, that was the thing yeah. that, that broke that broke the yeah, Cameron yeah, Diaz yeah. all open. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey, Pachuco! <laughs> song by um, Royal Crown Review. That was the song that was in the mask that everybody was dancing to. You might remember also there was that, that, that retro Review. swing craze in the 90s that... Yeah. Frickin' was in all over the mask. That was crazy. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Big Bad Voodoo. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Cherry Poppin' Daddies. Cherry Poppin' Daddies. And Royal Crown Reviews. Royal Crown Review. Uh, is there another one? Is that movie Swingers? Oh, there's a, there's one with a guy's name in the title. Uh, the Something Something Band. 
Oh, uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra. Oh, Brian Setzer Orchestra, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my impersonation of his guitars. Yeah. Oh, man. So... Yeah, what else? Yeah, Star Wars. Are you a Simpsons guy? Big, big into the Simpsons? Or oh, I was for a long time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um... <clears throat> I got, I mean, I got off the train probably when I was going to, to college... But like I was, I was deep in it. I remember, I remember the Simpsons from the Tracy Ullman show, and then seeing it grow out of that. Yeah, into, it was ju- it was sketches then, right? It was like short... it was just short sketches. Yeah, because a lot of the people, Julie Kavner, Dan Castaneda, like they were cast members on on the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah, and then you would, and then you started seeing those shorts, and then it became its own show, yeah. which was better than the Tracy Ullman show. <laughs> no offense to the Tracy Ullman show, but like. I never really liked the Tracy Ullman show. I would try to catch those animated shorts that I enjoyed, yeah, yeah. and then that became The Simpsons. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, uh, it just that just reminded me of back in the day, flipping through channels, and then I that's how I found Mystery Science Theater. Same here. <laughs> it was just like, oh, what's this? Well, because you you flip it on and you're like, this is a bad movie, and then you see those seats at the bottom of yeah. the screen, you're like, what? <laughs> And then you see three people in the seat. You're like, are these? And you turn it up because you're just like, oh, they're saying things over the movie. And you're like, this is what I do with my friends. Yeah, they're making fun of the movie that oh I my God. wanted to make fun of already. And then you're part. It, it's it's. I mean, it's really ingenious. Yeah. And it's and and you know the part the other thing about like <clears throat> us stepping into the roles is that that Joel Hodgson built something that could be like Star Trek or yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. Where you have people enter into these roles. And continue the story. Yeah. Um, another iteration of it. Yeah. So, it's it's because it's a tribute to shows like that in the first place, and like sci-fi shows yeah. that are like low budge, yeah. but somehow still work in some sort of way. <laughs> and so that's what we're doing. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the next generation. <laughs> some people think TNG is better than the original Star Trek. Oh, shit. Some people do. <laughs> Right, you team Kirk, you team Picard, man. Picard's good. And then you got, of course, you got Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and you got Enterprise, mm-hmm. and all these other iterations, and the movies. Voyager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just hope that we get to make a Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the movie, again. <laughs> yeah. Because they made a movie. <laughs> there could be another movie. The movie again. Yeah. The movie, the sequel. Because they made the Kids in the Hall movies, like. Yeah. Brain Candy. Yeah. Did they make two movies? Um, there, there might have been a Kids in the Hall movie, but I don't, I don't, I haven't seen that, but I've seen Brain Candy. Yeah, Mystery Science Theater 3000, the movie, again, <laughs> would be great. In parentheses, the sequel. Yeah, <laughs> movie, again, the sequel. Colon, part two. Oh, God, you devil. <laughs> oh, awesome. All right, well. Yeah, dude, I feel like this has been a great episode. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> It is kind of hot in here with the fan going and everything. It's all right. Yeah. It's all good. Um. Yeah. What? Plug stuff. Do you want to plug stuff? Everything. All of it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm redoing my website, BaronVaughn.com. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm just around. I'm around people. Look them up. Look Twitter, me up. Instagram. All those. Google me. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, this has been You and Me and Thoughts and Talk with Doug Cope and Baron Vaughn. Yeah.
Oh wait. 